Our way there, brothers. Hello there, listener. Welcome back to another episode of the Forest Brothers Podcast. The best podcast in the whole wide world. You already know it. And if you don't believe us, go check out other episodes because you know for a fact why we are the best podcast in the whole wide world. Uh, it's your boy, Mutsa Kristan, out here in the cut, joined by my two brothers, Ngome Zulu, Samson, brothers. How's about you say hello to the lovely listeners out there? Starting with my boy, Mangoro, and over to you, Sangi, and then we jump into the meat. So over to you, Mr. Mangoro. Ah, oh, beautiful listeners, I'd like to say hello to you, beautiful listeners out there. Thank you for tuning in to another great episode from the Forest Brothers podcast. I'd like to greet uh, my two brothers here, Mr. Mwari, as well as you, Mr. Masanga. And yeah, and just tell people that April is looking nice. Uh, I don't know what's happening in April, but it's, it just feels like it's, it's going to be a good month going forward. Uh, so something happened that has really put me in a good mood. So yeah. Mr. Hello, dear listener. Welcome to the Forest Brothers podcast. And dear listener, you know me, I'm in a good mood every day. <laughs> I'm loving life. I'm living life and I'm loving life. And uh, I cannot wait to get into today's pod. There's a lot to discuss, a lot of topics here. We haven't recorded D-Ski in a while. So let's get into it, gents. Yeah, for sure. Let's get into it indeed. And as aforementioned, we are sponsored by Angry Orchard. So if you know what's good for you, get yourself an AO. <laughs> or please, actually, if anyone knows Angry Orchard, tell them we, we, we love their brand. Uh, we need their sponsorship. So we're doing the work here, doing the good loads work. And in case, listener, if you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe, like, and subscribe. We want those numbers. And share, share, share. Tell your family, your friends, everybody. Anyways, okay, but Mangoro, I know you've already alluded to this, but as a Chelsea fan, it's been uh, it's been very hectic there at at Cobham. There's been a lot of movement, a lot of things going down, and I want to hear your first hand. Maybe not really. Let me not say experience, but. Maybe actually, what happened to you? What, what, what was going on in your life when you heard that Potter has finally been fired at Chelsea? What was going through your head? Did you see a bright light from the sky that told you, Mangor, it's okay. You can finally cry tears of joy. It's finally happened. Or did you feel a little tingle in your soul when you felt that something is happening in the atmosphere? <laughs> I just want to know, what, what, what happened to you? Did you feel that out-of-body experience when you heard the news that Mr. Graham Potter has been relieved of his duties. Over to you, Mr. Mongoro. Uh, thank you for this very, very beautiful platform, Mr. Mwari. Um, I'll tell the listener this. I was just laying there on Sunday. Uh, I, I woke up Sunday morning. I'm like, let me watch this game because I woke up early and I watched the, I think the Man City-Liverpool game. And then I, the games afterwards weren't interesting to me. And... I was like, let me go take a nap. And then I took a nap and then I woke up uh, in the afternoon and then I was like, because I said I love to watch the Chelsea game. And I was like, this, I have a, there's a weird feeling about this Chelsea-Aston Villa game. And then I, I just pretty much just passed out. And then I woke up, there were messages galore that Chelsea had lost to Aston Villa. I was like, oh, another day, another L by this brother. And I was just like, ah, it's another day. And then, you know, Mr. Reliable, Mr. Fabrizio was 
tweeting that there's going to be internal discussions through the night. Uh, we've had internal discussions through the night. I didn't even make much of it. And then passed out, woke up on Sunday. I think our brothers from Old Trafford were being demolished by a certain Magpies team. Uh, watched that beautiful game. And then I believe once those games ended, I took my customary Sunday afternoon nap. And to my great, great, great day, just to make my day, I wake up uh, from my nap. And you know, when you wake up from a nap, you need to check Fabrizio. Uh, if you don't know him, Fabrizio Romano, Mr. Here We Go. And I saw the news. I first saw it from uh, London's Blue podcast. Uh, they went live immediately when the news was confirmed. And I, I, I sat up straight. And then I checked Fabrizio, I checked David Ornstein, and I was like, oh, he's been sacked. And to me, it was not necessarily about uh, joy or anything, but it was more of, and I thought I was going to be very humble about this, but more of a, I told you so moment for me in particular. Because, and I did research in the last couple of days since this has happened. And I'll take our listeners back to, Lister, if you can go back to episode 17, I mean, episode 7 and episode 14 of season 2, you will hear me explicitly say that this man is not the answer and he's going. this is going to be the end of our season. So I pretty much told the watching world and I was right and I'm going to brag about it. And I'll be like, I told all of y'all, especially you, Muta, who didn't believe me, said I should give him a chance. Now look. Hey, you know what? I will still maintain that Potter should have at least finished the season, gone into the summer, had some time to figure the team out. Because buying all those players in January is not was not was never gonna be easy. Given the fact that he also didn't like make that list of like, okay, Todd, these are all the players I want. Todd was just buying players left, right, and center. Like, I don't think he talked to Potter about it. I don't know what happened, but Todd would just take out his wallet, buy a player, and Potter had to figure it out. I just feel like if my man had the summer to sit down, look at players, and be like, okay, guys, what are we doing here? And then at least give him the first half of the season next year or when the next season starts. And if he's still farming, Okay, sure. He's out of his depth. But come on, man. Six months, that's not enough to do what he had to do. I just feel like you guys did not want to give the man a chance. Uh, so, but let me ahead. ask you this. Is what you're just saying, is it coming from a very uh, a subjective or an objective point of view? Because are you speaking as a Spurs supporter or are you speaking as a neutral? Because to me personally, that sounds like he's speaking as a Spurs supporter. That's why you saying we should give him a chance so that the banter era can continue and you can have things to say. That's pretty much what you're doing. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not saying what I'm saying out of spite. I'll, I'll admit. Like I'm actually saying this as a neutral person. I respect Potter as a coach. I think that he just needed a bit more time to figure things out because I feel like there was just too much going on at Chelsea for him to like. I mean, also, he was just really unlucky. Like, he didn't expect Joao Felix to get a red card. The first game he's playing, he's out for three games. You know, we expected Havers to be on top of his game. We don't know what the man's been doing, you know. Um, so, I don't know. I just feel like... I, I, was, also, I was actually looking at, at um, his stats. Let me even bring them up. As, as a manager in the last six months, this is what Potter has done. Let me actually just say this. Okay, so the man... 
played 31 matches in the, in the, in the six months. Or he managed that one games. He had 12 wins. He had eight draws. And he had 11 losses. And they scored 33 goals, conceded 31, which is not a good stat, I believe. So his win rate was 38.7%. What is his Premier League record? Tell me the Premier League win percentage. I I gave you the stat today. Just drop it there for the listeners. Uh, you, know, you might have to drop it because I don't I don't remember if I was paying attention. But <laughs> it was thirty one percent selective memory. This problem. <laughs> anyway, I'm just saying that in three months, this is not. It's not like he was always losing. Like he was just figuring things out. And so I was trying to look at like other managers. Like I think we talked about Frank Lampard, and early in the group chat, you were failing to admit to the fact that Graham Potter is a much better coach than Frank Lampard. And ironically enough, I don't know if it was like a, what's that thing called when you, okay, I don't know if if I'm going to get the word. But anyway, as we're having that conversation, we find out that Frank Lampy is going to be the interim head coach at Chelsea. And I just need to know, are y'all saying to me that Frank Lampard could do a better job in the last remaining games than Graham Potter could have done? That's my big question. I just, want to, I just want you to answer that for me, Mangoro. Do you think Lampard will do a better job in the last remaining games as compared to Graham Potter? Um, so let me, let me put it this way. Um, the, there's a, this brother shall not be named. I heard they call him Mr. Hogwarts or Harry. So we shall call him Harry for the purposes of this podcast. So... Um, when you look at Harry versus Lampard in particular, I think Lampard would definitely do a better job. Even you yourself, Mutsa, could do a better job than Harry, honestly, because you were seeing the things Harry was doing. Like the last game against Aston Villa, when he put uh, Reese James and Ben Chilwell, probably the most attacking fullbacks in the wing backs in the league, at centre back. You, you, you can tell me what he was doing there, and then. Uh, introducing his boy Kukureya, uh, the mastermind, uh, the guy who get you fired. Uh, so th- there's a couple of things that he's been doing. So I think it g- just goes to show that uh, Harry was so terrible that they couldn't even get him to the end of the season and they didn't even have a plan on a replacement that they're like, yo, Lampard, yo, Lampard come through. Like Harry's, he's just, he's just, not cut- he's just not cutting it. And the fact that they literally gave Bruno the job for a game just so that they couldn't have any more of Harry. Like, that, that, that should just tell you something. Because you, you, you saw what the brother was doing. Like, he was, he was out of his depth. Like, I don't even think there was a point. Like, literally, I think Todd should have listened to Christopher Vival. Shout out to the technical director. He said months ago that uh, this man should be fired. Like, Harry should be gone. Because when you're reading out those stats, there, there's something important to mention. This man lost to... Mr. Good evening. He lost to Southampton, who were at the bottom of the league, and Brighton beat him 4 1. Brighton. Brighton beat him 4 1. I don't know what's, what's not embarrassing about those things. So, personally, I, um, I, will, I, will, I will raise my right hand here and say uh, Lampard will do a better job than Harry, and it will show how much of a fraud he is, honestly, because. 
you saw how much of a fraud he is. Like, it's so bad to a point where we couldn't even get him to the end of the season. And if it was down to it, I think I think we would have paid Harry. Like, we would have just been like, Harry, he has the money, uh, 50 mil, you tried, you're just not good enough. Get out of here. I, I, I just want to, on top of that, I just want to maybe go to Samson for a little bit. Samson, Graham Potter has been fired after six months. And his buyout is most likely going to be more than 40 million pounds. Right? Because he was paid, what, 60 million for a five-year deal? And they've cut it short in six months. Which means my man, Graham Potter, is about to quadruple his net worth in with six months worth of work. And Chelsea has done some very interesting business in the last few years. You know, paying, what, $90 million for Lukaku, $90 million pounds for Lukaku, and then sending another, and then giving him away for another $10 million on loan. I don't, just, just some, anyway, I want to hear your thoughts on Chelsea business as an organization, because these brothers are bleeding money. They spent, what, $300 mil in Jan? Now they just fired their coach three months later. And now they're about to hire another one. Nagelsmann, Luis Enrique, maybe Van Conte. Who knows? Who knows what the vibes are there, Chelsea? Anyway, that's going to be a bag. I don't know how much they're going to spend on Nagelsmann. I feel like Nagelsmann, they could probably buy him for how much, Mangoro? Like 50, 70, 80? Luis Enrique? I also don't know. Todd might chuck 100, say you have a 10-year deal, knowing that brother. So in total, in totality, <laughs> the manager thing at Chelsea in the last year is probably going to cost definitely more than 120 million pounds. And given how much they spent in January, this brother's about to spend in a billy, a billy in a year. So I just want to hear what you guys think about Chelsea business. I'll start with you, Mangoro, because I want you to f- please fact check me if I, if I say something, but I want to hear yes, the numbers. Yes. No, please. I just want to, I want to, I want the people to hear actually the amount of money that is going out of Chelsea here. Okay, so starting off, uh, I want to fact check you in particular around the Harry numbers. I think it's important to mention those Harry numbers. So he was brought in from Brighton for 25 million euros, uh, 25 million pounds around there and given a five-year contract, uh, which turned out to be turned out to be I think 60 million, as you mentioned, or 50 million around that region. So six months of it. And uh, when he was fired, there was a negotiation on the compensation package. He walked away with, I believe, 13 million uh, from that 50 million that or 60 million that he was supposed to receive, given how terrible he was. They... They pretty much just gave him that, honestly. 1-3, not 3-1. 1-3, that is what he got. And I wanted to be very clear as to what he got. He should sue. That that, that brother should sue. I I mean, that, you know, <laughs> six months into a five-year, $50 million deal. Man, you, you, you owe that man. You, you owe him. I mean, you can talk about a cut price, but even even the cut price, I would if I was in more than expensive, accept anything less than 30 million that's me being generous 13 oh my days maybe this guy's too nice which actually is one of the reasons why people say he was fired um so you know it goes that 
the guy was not a great man manager. You know, he was not um, tough enough with the players, not uh, expressive enough in team meetings, not inspiring enough. You know, he's not, you know, when guys are losing, he's not going to call anyone out. He's not going to say, hey, you need to play better. Hey, you know, uh, Havertz, you, you cannot find the net. You need to, you need to play better. Um, Kepa, you're costing us. You need to play better. Kukurea, I'll sub you off and shave your hair. You need to play better. He's not doing any of that. He's not, he's not making anyone uncomfortable. Everyone's so comfortable. And when you're mediocre and comfortable, it just, it does not like, how can things get better? You know, things cannot get better. And, uh, you know, but I will cut the man some slack. You know, he was dealing with the bloated squad. Um, there were also reports that players had to change in the hallways. And I think, um, when you try to start to have a serious discussion about the way Chelsea Football Club is run, because you, you guys are supposed to be big six, right? The pride of London, they call themselves. The, the, the pride of London. But players are changing in the hallways. Like, that's, that's unacceptable. Players are sitting down on the floor for team talks. That, that is unacceptable, right? In a world where everyone has their own locker and it's personalized and all this, and like, on the floor. Like, this is... Not even stuff you would see at championship level. Like, this is the kind of stuff you'd see at clubs undergoing un, uh, administration. You know, when the UK government steps in and say, hey, we're going to take over because you guys are too poor to run your club. That's what, that's the, that's this sort of environment. That's where it, this sort of thing happens. Um, so, yeah, when you start asking questions about Todd Bowley, um, recently the UK government released a document um, it's not binding or anything. It was, uh, it was more of like a, a proposal, you know. Um, they call it they call them white papers in the UK. When you want to propose a new law, you put out a white paper and it basically explains the law in detail, gets some, you know, uh, some feedback from the general public, investors, whatever, and you can then draft a better bill. This bill was talking about uh, safeguarding, you know, football for the future, you know, and it mainly looked at, you know, owners um, who are coming in and it was a response to the Super League and the league saying, hey, we need a, a tighter control on English football. I bring this up because in that document, they discuss owner fitness. They discuss having owners who are, um, what's the word, uh, responsible managers of the football club this is not responsible management from Todd Bowley you can't spend 700 million and fire two managers and have players in the hallways and have a team that just sucks now like Chelsea are in the bottom half this is one of England's best teams in the bottom half entirely because of their mismanagement of the situation. It's not because, like, players aren't playing well or the coach. I mean, yeah, we can talk about part of his team selection, but it's mostly because from the summer, we knew Chelsea were going to have a bad year, right? When we saw the drama that was happening with Tuchel and the board, we thought, oh, this is trouble. And it's just gotten worse each month, worse and worse and worse. And now you guys are even being linked with Antonio Conte again. And it's like, Who's next? Di Matteo? Like, Village Boas? Like, what's what's going on? Like, this is horrible, man. Like, 
And we have to start asking some serious questions because uh, I, I really don't know what happens. And, you know, Mutsu talked about the financial implications. Even if you're paying you know, Potter 13 million, we have to remember, you spent 700 million in the year. You're going to pay Potter his money to go away. You're going to pay some of his staff money to go away. You're going to pay the new coach to come in on a full-time basis. All this money has to come out somewhere. And at the end of the day, you know, you guys have talked about amortization and all that. This doesn't look good on on paper when you don't have things like the Champions League money to negate it, which you don't have. You don't have European football at all. You're not going to have it. So, like, in, in, in January when the signings were happening, people were talking about, oh, this is, you know, we're going to perform like this and it's not going to matter, whatever. Well, now it's not looking as as nice. Now it's not looking as safe because even, you know, like like what, what Pacha has proven is that even if you do hire a coach and you do give him time, that's not a guarantee of results, especially if the owner is just going to keep signing new players and throwing them at the team. Like, it's not a guarantee. Like, we've seen that. Because remember, it's not just Potter who came. He came with his whole team. He came with a whole group of people. Didn't work. What hope do we have that uh, Nagelsmann comes in, Lampard comes in, whoever, the best coach in the world comes in, and they finish fourth? What hope do we have of that happening of Chelsea? Because currently, even with all these talented players, it's hard to see if you guys make a jump from 11th to 4th or is it going to be 11th to 8th, 11th to 7th? Because right now, the club is just so poorly managed that it's just going to leak out onto the pitch at the end of the day. So, yeah, I think we have to start asking serious questions about this man, Todd, and his vision for this club. I just want to bring up the fact that Mr. Potter has gotten Chelsea to the Champions League quarterfinals in his first six-month season. I think we should just give a little bit more respect to my man Potts. Like he had to deal with Todd. He had to do a lot of stuff, but he also just, you know, I feel like he could have finished the season if they, if they fired him at the end of the season and like, Hey, let's look at what happened from September until now. Do you think he did a good job? I'm pretty sure Potts himself was going to resign at the end of the season. I'm sure he's going to be like, you know what guys, I can't do this. I have tried. It's not for me. Let's find a solution. Let me finish the season at least. I feel like that would have been, you know, that's a man who looked comfortable. That's that's a man who looked like they're not going to do me like that. They just got me. They're not going to fire me. Maybe he was too naive. He should have seen it coming. I don't I don't know. But I'm just saying that, yeah, I, I don't think I would have gotten the man fired right now because Chelsea are 12 points above the number 27 on the table. I think I believe that's Bournemouth or something. They are twelve points ahead there of them. There's no number twenty-seven. Let's. Oh, let's oh, sorry, number place. seventeen. Yeah. Apologies, number seventeen. And let me just make sure I even know the team. The team is uh, Nottingham Forest. Nottingham Forest has twenty-seven points. Bournemouth also has twenty-seven. Chelsea has thirty-nine. So, literally, Chelsea's twelve points ahead of bottom three. And if Chelsea loses four games out of the remaining nine or 10 and these other teams do a little better. Hey, we'll, we'll start chatting about, okay, you know what? Even if Lampard loses two games and one of these teams does well in those two games, we'll, we'll start talking about relegation at some point. 
And uh, that's going to be a very fun time for me. I'm just saying, though, like, it's very possible, Mongoro. I know you're looking at me like this guy's talking crazy, but you guys are not that far away. You are talking crazy. Can I ask you one thing? You literally started your statement with, we need to put some respect on Bada's name. Then you literally just read out those stats. Like, how, how well, are we supposed all to... all I know is Potter is a draw thing? merchant. You said he put us in the quarterfinal, yes. And then at the same time, you're saying he put us in 11, then he put us uh, 12 points away from the relegation zone. So how are we supposed to respect him? Tell me. I'm saying Potter, at least is a draw merchant. You know he's going to draw most of those games. He's not going to lose them. I don't think he's going to lose four games. So he, he would have gotten to the end. Lampard, on the other hand, has more propensity to lose than Potter does. Lampard, I think, from what we've seen with the man, Lampard will lose to the likes of Bournemouth, to the likes of Crystal Palace, to the likes of Leeds. I don't know who, I don't know what else is, I need to look at their fixture list. But I trust Potter over the last remaining games that I trust Lampard. But what what evidence do you have to suggest that? Because you've seen the sample data set that Graham Potter has given you. He lost to Southampton. They didn't even have a coach. He lost to them at at the bridge. He lost to Aston Villa just a just a couple of just a weekend ago. He lost to Brighton earlier in the season. Like some of the teams he's lost to, what confidence were you gonna have going into the Wolves game, going into the upcoming games that he was literally going to do something? Like I I, I can honestly not forgive him for that. Southampton game. I think they were supposed to fire him for that game. Just not 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 because of what he'd done previously. Just for that Southampton game because literally he lost to Southampton. I think that was like a couple of months ago, and Southampton is still in twentieth. That goes to show how terrible they are. He should be embarrassed. Like he shouldn't walk around London anymore. He should go back to wherever he came from. Like honestly, he should be so embarrassed. Like. It's actually not acceptable. Like that is probably the worst thing. It hasn't been acceptable for 35 years to lose to Tottenham Hotspur. And he lost to Tottenham Hotspur and he found the positive to say about that game. He literally said, uh, brother Sky, uh, he literally said the boys gave everything. If you listen to all his like post-match interviews when we've lost, he literally says the boys gave everything. We tried and it just wasn't enough. What does that tell you? Does that tell you that's a man that in the last 10 games will inspire confidence? And something that I think the listeners need to know here that not a lot of people actually talk about. And it's it, maybe it's also not out there like that, but like after listening to some very reliable Chelsea sources, the likes of Matt Law, literally mentioned that, oh, bro, how do you tell me that this guy's in charge? This is a man who goes to his assistant coaches and he asks, uh, can you go ask the players what they think of me? Is that is that a coach that is going to inspire confidence? Is that a coach that's going to win the next 10 games? Mutsa, you tell me. Hey, hey, there's nothing wrong with trying to find out if you have people that like you, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. He just wants to know, like, how are people feeling? Like, are we in the same... You know, Pacha is all about the vibes. He's all about the good energy. He just wants to know... Hey, does Sterling like me? Does he? And maybe, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Obviously, I mean, I don't know, man. He has a different style. So I can't, I can't. The thing is, here's the thing. 
fans are always quick to say a manager should not call out players in the media. Like people are always like, oh man, come on, say that in the locker room. Don't say that out loud. Don't criticize players. Like I know that we used to rinse Ragnick every time he would come out and just criticize or Mourinho, just criticize a player and be like, hey man, that man is trash. Played like shit today or whatever, you know, like we've seen that time and time again. We have these coaches with a big ego who just come out and roast, roast the team. Potter's like, yo, and now you have a man like Potter who's just like, hey man, listen, the kids played all right, okay? And like, it's fine, guys. It's fine. They did their best. You know, he's trying to take that nice dad approach, you know? He's that stepdad that wants to impress the mom, you know? It's just, it's vibes, you know? So, I don't know. What do you guys want, man? Do you guys want a Mourinho or do you want a Potter? Like, pick a side. No, I, I don't want Potter. I'll take Mourinho any day. I don't want Potter at all. Yes, I'd rather take washed up Mourinho at this point. Like, this is the same man who literally told a reporter when they asked him, how did the crisis meeting go? And he literally said, I'm still here. I, I, people actually forget that. Those are things he literally said. Like, that, that is actually so rich now. That is so rich. And to know how terrible he was, like literally they fired him and that little man that stood next to him and everyone else stayed to show you how bad he was, like how he was just not good enough for the club. Like Grandpa, honestly, like, I can't even know I said his name, that man. What a waste, Harry. What the hell? Uh, you know what? I just want to add on to you. It's one thing to, you know, to be a positive guy, to be a, someone everyone likes. You know, it's, it's great. It's great having someone everyone likes. But, you know, even in the gym, you know, for example, if you get a personal trainer in the gym, if you if he says, hey, man, we're going to do push-ups, three sets, 10 each. If you get to eight each time or six each time I don't finish, he's not going to, you know, that's okay. In a soft voice, you know it's fine. It's okay. It's okay. Just, just pack it up, towel down. We'll see you next. No, it's okay. Push it, push it. Come on. What are you doing? You're weak, weak, and he's gonna get you over the line. That is something that happens because we need people to push us. Even your parents growing up, when you were going through a difficult time, you would want to do things. They would push you. Like the people who loved you the most, they would push you. Someone who doesn't push you can never get you anything. Like oh, this is a competitive. This is the, t- the highest level, man, we're talking about. And this guy is giving the same, like, again, this is this was, this was reported, the same team talks every day, the same post-match interview every day. I mean, we heard the post-match stuff, so we can, we can assume that the team talk one is also the same for saying that. But the same thing every day, no pushing anyone, no trying to ruffle any feathers, no trying to inspire anyone, just the same speech. That was good, guys. Well done. We will get them next time. I can even imagine the voice was just monotone the whole time. Hey, that was good. Hey, Havertz, good one. <laughs> Try again next time. You'll get him next time, buddy. Like, it, how? How do you win? How do you, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's impossible. Uh, plus, you know, it's just, you know, you guys have been talking about win percentages. I remember I saw a graphic on Twitter about Chelsea managers win percentage in the league. And I remember him being at the very bottom. You guys said he was like at 31%. Um, I think he's actually at 27.8%. And uh, he's underneath Ian Porterfield. I do not know who that is. 
Glenn Hoddle, I think he coached in the 80s or 90s last. No, he coached early 2000s England, I think, for a while. That was the last coaching job he did. David Webb, 38%. Glenn Hoddle, 31%. Ian Porterfield, 31%. He's at 27.8. This is the worst Chelsea manager in history, officially. Uh, it's hard to defend. It's so hard to defend. I'm trying, but it's 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 almost impossible. Not to mention the Reese James at centre back thing the other day. Even his even even his boy Andrew Tate the other day, he 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 had the foresight to put Reese James on the wing. He saw that that was a clear mistake. Like, and by the way, he had no like uh, what's his name Bruno Salto had never picked a first eleven in his life before, and he immediately picked one that was better than Potter's one. Immediately, they looked better. Like Chelsea were not great the other day, but they looked way better than they had looked under Potter at any time. So, I'm sorry. He just wasn't the guy. So, uh, you know, going forward, when I now think of Harry, I now think of Harry as the new age David Moyes. This is the the reincarnation of David Moyes, this guy. Just not good enough for the big six, but uh, can coach those little teams and do something with them. Maybe, maybe Brentford or something in the future. Or he just needs to go back to the championship or Austin's. But, you know, Mr. Mori, I, I, I want you to lay it on me. What, what other defense mechanisms do you have for Mr. Harry, Harry something? Uh, let, let, let me know. Uh, what, what else do you have for me? Because the facts are there. Numbers don't lie. You know what? I, 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 Graham, if you listen to the podcast, because I know you do, just know that I have stuck up for you. Just know that you just needed more time. You could have been better. I, I, I don't want to bash the man anyway. Hey, man, man just lost his job, okay? Like, come on, man. This is, he's walking away with 13 million. Like, you know, he's made a bag. Never has to coach again. Maybe he'll coach Leicester in the championship when they get relegated. Who knows? But I think, I think we've exhausted the Potter thing for now. Let's, let's just leave it for now. I think the next question that I have is maybe starting with you and Kosi. Who would you rather see at Chelsea? Luis Enrique or Nagelsmann? I think those are the top two. And I'm hearing Conte might snake in there. You know, it's, 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 it's the same way that Lampard, Lampizo, as I affectionately call him. He's now there at Chelsea for the last 10 games. Who knows? Maybe Lampard would have such an amazing 10, the rest of the 10 games, that Todd Bowley will be convinced that Lampard is the man to take Chelsea to the next level. There's a, there's a, there's a future possibility in that. You could actually see Lampard coaching next season. And I'll be here for it because I will laugh and laugh and laugh. Anyways, Nkosi, who's the best person you think should take Chelsea forward next season? And then to Samson. Okay, so I think we're at a point where we should not talk about Harry for the rest of the year. I think it's done now. I think the Harry chapter is now closed. Uh, Those... That, that nightmare is now over. But I think personally, I'd say Julian is my first choice. I think Nagelsmann could transform him. I've been watching videos on his tactics. What a tactical genius. He does things uh, that are outside of the book that are not contemporary to coaching, like drones are training, large screens to show the players' video analysis on when they coach or when they're doing wrong things during coaching. So those are the kinds of ideas. So he does have, I think now we've forgotten the philosophy. Uh, he does have a very good philosophy. Uh, I think the players at Chelsea sued him. And he does have some working experience with 
the Chelsea uh, hierarchy. So he did spend some time, I believe, with Christopher Vival when he was at Leipzig. And Lawrence Stewart also worked as a head of performance analysis at Leipzig during like 2018 to 2020. So I'm pretty sure he's well aware of the work that Julian could do. Uh, that's like my first choice. And, you know, Mr. Todd, what I'd say to him is that I think he should be moving heaven and earth to get this guy because he's pushed this idea of multi-club model. He loves the Red Bull group. He literally tried to go hammer and tongue to get Christopher Freund, Christopher Freund from Salzburg to be the sporting director and Vival from Leipzig as the as the technical director. So it kind of does show that he really does love the Red Bull model. And when are you ever going to get another opportunity to actually get probably the best manager to come out of that Red Bull system? I know he wasn't there very long, but from that Red Bull system, he's probably the best uh, because it also does include the likes of Hassan Hutel and Rangnick as well. So maybe the... Maybe the he's the cream of the crop amongst some very average managers, but I think he should be moving heaven and earth. But I'd also be interested to see here what uh, this guy, Luis Enrique, could bring to the club. Uh, I heard he mesmerized uh, the owners and the technical team uh, on his during his personal interview this past, I think this week. So I think that would also be a good possibility. Uh, my my the jury for me personally is still out. He did feel that Varo Morata is a striker and Ferran Torres, so I think uh I'm not convinced by that. He may do something similar to that, might give Kai Havertz more opportunities, which is something I certainly don't want to see anymore. So certainly for me, Julian number one, number two, uh this guy that is Enrique. Conte, no chance. Never give it to Conte. Like, honestly, because I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this in 2023, if you give it to Julian Nagelsmann, this is going to be the coach of the decade for the next century. When you talk about Pep, the next generation below Pep, this guy is there. I'm telling you right now. You can, you can, you can agree, you can disagree, but this guy is the real deal. Mr. Smosanga? Yeah, yeah. Um, Nagelsmann, Luis Enrique, I think are good, good options. Um, I would just like to point out, though, that, you know, at the end of his tenure, Graham Potter, sorry to say his name, Mongoro, Mr. P. P was an XG merchant. You know, he would talk about XG all, all post-match. Like, hey, man, we dominate on XG. You know, look at the numbers. We're good, you know, type of thing. These two are phenomenal XG merchants, uh, you know. They don't lose as much or draw as much. They actually win... They're you know, pretty high win percentages because they've coached some top sides. But when they fail to win, uh, you know, when they draw or lose, they always bring up XG and they always have high XG. You know, like their teams create a lot of chances, um, which I guess, you know, on paper is a good thing. But knowing Chelsea fans and how you've reacted to previous XG merchants like Frank, <laughs> Frankie V, you know, it could be... It could create some tension, you know, but not not so with the players, but I can see the tension with the fans. And this ownership group has shown that they do listen to the fans. You know, Todd Bowley is in Twitter Spaces. He's in, you know, CFC fans' um, replies. You know, he's he's act very active with with the with the fan base. So you know, 
might create some friction, but yeah, these are two top choices. Uh, I agree. Nagelsmann is going to have a great career. Uh, you know, still very young. Uh, interesting dynamic there with Thiago Silva. Thiago Silva is older than him. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, although I would like to say Lampard, I think Lampard does deserve a shot long term. And I say this because I feel like last time Lampard was here at Chelsea, as much as he, you know, he, he wasn't great. Like, I'm not going to defend Lampard as a defensive coach. Lampard sucks at defending. You know, like he just, he does not know how to coach a defense. Right. Uh, when he was at Everton, his first season, he conceded 5-0 to Crystal Palace in the FA Cup. Five. Like, Patrick Vieira's Crystal We saw them. We saw Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace. Those guys get one and they relax. They scored five. Like, that That should tell you something. So, he's not good defending. But that's the thing. With Chelsea, this Chelsea team, he doesn't have to coach a lot of defending because he has top-quality defenders. Um when he was capitulating the last time, uh, let me just read out the team that played Arsenal, uh, the back four that played Arsenal uh, in that uh, now famous 3-1 win at, uh, was that the bridge? No, it was at the Emirates. That 3-1 win in 2020 that basically revived Arteta's Arsenal career and signaled the end uh, or the beginning of the end of Lampard's career. Uh, he fielded the back four of Chilwell, Silva, Zuma, Reese James, and Mendy. Thiago Silva was still kind of playing at a high level, but he got destroyed in that game by Martinelli, I believe. And he also got destroyed a couple weeks before uh, during, I think it was a League Cup game. Again, Martinelli. Um, even then, you could see the cracks where if it's a counterattack, you know, because again, Lampa's not a great coach. He's not going to hide... Um, out slow defenders' inefficiencies on the counter-check. So he was just getting cooked. Uh, but then alongside him was Zuma. That doesn't help you. If you're a defender in the Premier League playing against another top side, having Zuma next to you isn't like, you know, it's not, it doesn't inspire with confidence. You know? So this year, you know, when he comes in, Lampard's going to have uh, a partnership potentially of, of Badia Shile and, and Koulibaly. I'd argue that's leagues ahead anything he ever had at Chelsea. Not to mention he has Fofana there. Um, by the way, he when uh, whenever um, the guy who plays for Milan now, Tomori, whenever he was playing with Tomori in that back four during his time, he actually won a lot of games. He was he helped Tomori blossom, and it's actually one of the reasons Tomori ended up being signed by AC Milan because of those performances he showed under Lampard and also in the championship. But he has a very talented group of players, and I feel like they could cover up for those inefficiencies he has and actually help him learn um, on the job. Because, you know, I think if he sees those guys perform, sees them defend at a high level, maybe he'll pick up a thing or two about how to help them set up and whatever. And also, he doesn't have to defend as much. Uh, last Everton job, you know, Everton defend more than they attack. You know, when you watch them... It's just how they play. In fact, he played with a back five most of the time he was there. When he walks through those doors, he will play a 4-2-3-1. You can book it right now. Mason Mount is going to be the 10. Uh, Joao Felix might find himself on the bench. Either him or Havertz might find themselves on the bench. And then, you know, Pulisic is going to be back. Ziyech might be back. You know, like, it's going to be back to the old. And 
he's going to bring out the best of the players he used to have. And on top of that, he's going to have all these new players to experiment with. So I think, because I remember offensive Lampard football, it was nice to watch. He made, he played some terrific stuff going forward. So I think with the offensive talent here, the amount of pressure we would have put on defenses, I think he'll do well. And it'll be very interesting to see if if he win, wins like seven games, do you guys give him the job? Because I will, I mean, obviously I'm an Arsenal fan. I kind of want him to take the job over like Nugglesman or something, but I still think I, I, I would, I mean, would have to see how he does at first, but I would still be a little concerned with Lampard as your coach because he did not have these weapons last time he was around. Like, this team is significantly better than the team he had, and I think he will do much better. So, yeah. I'm, 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 I, honestly, if Lampard wins seven games out of the remaining games, I will bet money right now that Bowley would spend money on Brother Lampard. I'm like, hey, why fix what's not broken? And you know, Todd, Todd likes when things are happening, you know, because if Chelsea win seven games, that takes them into maybe even like top six, you know, potentially. So depending on how everyone else does, of course. But I guess finishing off on this Chelsea conversation, Samson already kind of alluded, alluded to this. So the last remaining fixtures for Chelsea are Wolves, Brighton, then they have a blank in Gaming 32. They play Brentford, they play Arsenal, Bournemouth, Nottingham Forest, Man City as the, the that's that's the second last game, and they play Newcastle to finish off the season. That's what's on the schedule right now. And let me bring this to Mangoro. How well do you think Lampard is going to do in these last remaining fixtures? Like, what's your prediction for wins, losses, or draws against Wolves, Brighton, Brentford, Arsenal, Bournemouth, Nottingham Forest, City, Newcastle? What are your... I just want to feel what you think Lampard is going to do with those games. Uh, I'll throw in there's a game there that needs to be rescheduled against Manchester United at Old Trafford. Um... He won't do anything out of this world. He'll, I think he'll just do the basics correctly. Like, I'd see him getting a couple of wins here and there. Uh, the ones that I'd say, as Chelsea supporters, that would kind of expect him to win, given the quality we have versus the quality against uh, these opposition. Uh, so Wolves, Brighton, Brentford, Bournemouth, Forest. Uh, I'd expect to win those or at least come away with something. And then the ones where he just going to lose probably Arsenal, City, and then maybe the Newcastle and Man U games. So probably of those, I think it's 10 games or nine games, maybe three to five wins. And probably about for the rest would probably be a couple of draws and a couple of losses. So between like three to five losses as well, or three or four losses. So nothing... Nothing too special, but probably gets us to like 50 points. And that's just the season where I wanted to end uh, so that we don't have this uh, nonsensical European competitions to play next year. And we can just focus on actually building a team next year. I was going to say, is that better than what Potter will do? But let's not open that can of worms. Samson, what are your thoughts on how you think Lampard will do in this in these next few fixtures? I'm going to be bold. I'm going to say eight wins. Uh, say eight wins. Actually, no, I'll say seven wins. I'll say one draw. One or two draws, one or two losses. Like, it, it could go either way. But I feel like, because, yeah, I feel like 
he could he like once he gets there and he gets a game or two, gets a few training sessions in, I think he'll he'll play he'll he'll, he'll get some results because we even saw at the pits, you know, during the pits of the pottery, that West Ham game away at West Ham. What a tough watch, by the way. But even there, when you guys just I mean, Mongo, did you guys draw that game or win that game? I can't remember. You won. Right? No, 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 no. Potter didn't win anything. It was a draw. It was a draw? Right. And Emerson scored against Chelsea. Just saying. Right. The they were former player. The the goal, uh by the way, he was uh what's his name? Uh Chilwell's backup, by the way. That that's that, that's the kind of quality you have to deal with, Lampard. But anyways, um the goal you guys scored had nothing to do with Potter's tactics. It was literally Enzo picking up the ball, seeing um Havertz make a run. Or was it Joao Felix? Joao Felix. It'll never be Havertz, it was Felix. Right. Joao Felix made a nice run, chipped it right over, uh, right foot shot, goal. Um, that is the sort of thing that Lampard can get more out of them because that doesn't need coaching, that doesn't need training, that doesn't need whatever. That just needs confidence. And who better to inspire you than a guy who's literally done it all at that club? You know, club legend. You saw the impact, you know, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had when he signed on. Um, it means something. You know, uh, seeing a player who's literally won everything possible at your club now coaching you, telling you, hey, go out there and do this, believe in yourself. You're going to believe in yourself. And I think with the talent here on this Chelsea team, you will see players like Mudrik, now called Midrik because he's been mid. Um, all these fantastic players, Madweke, who actually, um, during the international break, came off the bench, uh, scored and assisted, walked away with the man of the match, uh, and Potter had him playing right wing back right after, even though he's a right winger. Just simple things like that, just playing those guys in the right positions and telling them, hey, go do your thing. Seven wins. I'm booking it. I'm booking it. Okay. Well, I'm going to say the, the reality because both of y'all sound a little misguided. Let me tell you right now. The only teams that Lampard is going to win against, maybe, out of the next few fixtures, are Wolves, Forest, and potentially Bournemouth. Those are only three games. I'm telling you, you guys keep saying Brighton like it's some mid-team. Brighton demolished. Brighton spank, okay? Brighton will beat Chelsea. I am fairly certain of that. I am 80% sure Brighton beats Chelsea. That I'm telling you. So he's definitely going to lose that game. Brentford beat Chelsea. That's a given. I'm telling you that right now. Brentford will beat Chelsea. Arsenal obviously beat Chelsea. I hope Chelsea can do us a favor and win for sure. I'm rooting for you guys. I think Arsenal will take it. Bournemouth, I've already mentioned. Forest, they win against Bournemouth Forest. Man City, I don't even think they can... I th I'm sure they can play their B team against you guys and they'll be fine. Newcastle. Obviously, you just saw them spanking West Ham 5-1 today. Yeah, they're, they're at Newcastle obviously pr probably trying to fight for top three at that point. So, yeah. Chelsea, I think that's where, I think that's where it goes. With Potter, you might have at least found a couple of draws. But right here... Right here, <laughs> three wins. I'm giving Lampard three wins. If he does better than that, I'll be shook. But that's that's my uh, that's my analysis of that. So, listener, 
at the end of the season, please come back to this episode. This will be episode 34. Please come back and listen to what we said and see who actually has proper foresight and analysis because it'll, it'll tell you something. <laughs> you know, listen, can I just mention something? Um, in the time that you've listened to the Fresh Brothers podcast and you can definitely go back, the evidence is all there, uh, to check where who actually, for the most part, is actually correct with predictions and things like this and who's actually wrong most of the time. So I won't say who's right or who's wrong, but the evidence is out there. If you can go look for it, uh, it's going to be out there. It's just going to be staring you at the face or just ringing in your ear. It's literally up to you. You know what? We'll, 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 we'll see. But anyway, let's move on, fellas. I think we've given Chelsea an adequate amount of time. Uh, Chelsea fans, I hope we've done justice. Uh, so yeah, boys. So you know what? We've actually seen a bunch of sackings this season. Potter and Conte are the last, uh, like the, the 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 most recent sackings, high profile sackings in the top six. But we have actually seen how many sackings? Twelve. So in the list, like this is going to be nostalgic for some people because it's going to feel like it was ages ago, but actually it's not. Scott Parker was fired from Bournemouth. He was the first manager to go. Thomas Tuchel, Chelsea, released. Bruno Lage, released from Wolves. And then when Steven Gerrard, y'all remember Steven? Who did Steven even coach again? I, I can't really remember. Villa? <laughs> gone. Ralph Hasenhutl, gone. Where's Southampton right now? Bottom of the table. Very uh, ironic, I assume. And then we have Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard was actually sacked <laughs> from Everton. <laughs> and he's coming back to Chelsea. Come on, man. <laughs> Chelsea fans, don't forget. Your man was sacked from Everton. Everton is also battling relegation right now. They're, they're in the pits. <laughs> okay. Jesse Marsh, Leeds. Nathan Jones, Southampton again. Wow. Patrick Vieira. That was a sad one. I don't think they had to do that to our brother, but they won their last game. So, you know what? I guess maybe Harry Red, I mean, what's, what's this guy's, or whatever, the guy who's coaching them, you know, I guess, I guess he, 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 he's back to doing his thing. Antonio Conte, I mentioned Brendan Rogers was let go by Leicester as well. And now, of course, Graham Potter, Chelsea. So, gentlemen, what, what do you take about these seconds this season? Is this, should this be a concern? For the rest, because we've been seeing managers like Klopp. Klopp should be getting fired in this season. Klopp needs to go on a sabbatical, as Samson said once in a, in a, in a group. That man is done. He, there's no need for him to keep coaching, right? Anyway, wh- what does this what does this tell you? Like, I don't know if if there's any other season we've seen this amount of sackings before, but what do you gentlemen take about these? Like, does this show a trend? And that lifeline of managers is decreasing exponentially or I don't know. Like, 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 I mean, I don't know if any of these teams have done better. Like I think I'm trying to think which team has actually done better because, because of a sacking. I think Aston Villa having Mr. Good Evening has been good for them. They've been playing really well. Um, Bournemouth and the relegation zone. Chelsea are battling quasi relegation soon. Wolves are not doing that well. Southampton are last. Leeds are still battling relegation. Crystal Palace are the only team that's actually decent right now, but I don't know. Spurs 
we're playing poor football, but we're still high up there for some reason. And Leicester are battling relegation. So were these all warranted or were they mistakes? Let me start with Samson. Okay, so I'm just looking at the list. Um, I would say, let's see, let me try to think of which ones weren't warranted. I'd say Vieira wasn't warranted. And I would, I would, hmm, Conte is a bit of a tough one because he was still, you know, he was still in the top four. Um, his contract was running out. And, you know, it kind of seemed like he didn't want to coach. And they didn't want him to coach, but they kind of needed him to keep coaching. Like, it would have been nice if he just stayed on because he was doing a decent enough job. I think he'd have probably made it to top four if he stayed. Because, I mean, that whole uh, section of clubs are just not that not that stable. But, yeah, I think Vieira is the one you can really look and say, oh, Tuchel. But even, you know, Tuchel is... Ah. Yeah, I'll just say Vieira was the one... That was not warranted. Everyone else, there were issues. And you cannot blame the people for taking those actions when they did. Even even Tuchel, even, even though in hindsight, you look at Tuchel and Potter, you're like, what the hell did we do? Even in the best case scenario, I don't think Tuchel would have lasted the whole season. You know, if, if you said to Tuchel, we're spending 300 million without your input, I think he would have quit by the end of the season. Like, he's not that kind of coach where you just tell him, hey, we're doing this, deal with it. Like, Tuchel's the one who tells you, I am doing this, deal with it. You know, like, it's it's not the other way. So, yeah. And I think it's just a function of uh, the league becoming, you know, people call the EPL a super league now. You know, that's this is kind of the uh, uh, a result of that because... Staying in the league is very valuable. And finishing higher up, you know, means a few extra millions. Uh, So, you know, Aston Villa might look at it like, hey, man, with Gerard, we probably could have still finished like 16th or 15th. But with Mr. Goodibiting, we're going to finish in the top half. I don't know what the numbers are exactly, but I I would estimate that's like, five to between five and 10 extra millions for them. Uh, They've just earned by finishing higher because TV money, how it's distributed, you know, that's, that's what it means. And uh, if you have more money, you can spend more in the summer, you can improve the team, you know, you can do all these things. Uh, And also at the bottom, you're seeing very, a lot of changes. Uh, Crystal Palace were sort of safe. They were 12th in the sacked Vieira and one win. Uh, by Hodgson has made them seem a little like even more even more safe. Uh, so in hindsight, you could look at them and say, hey, you know, they didn't need to do that, but they were looking at it as, hey, man, two more losses and we could go down. And staying in this league is so much more important. Um, I think this is the most sackings we've ever had. I think the as, at least in the EPL era, uh, uh, the English Premier League era, I mean, Barclays Premier League era. I think the next amount is like 10. Um, But yeah, we're in a very valuable league and uh, everyone, every owner wants to squeeze as much as they can out of their clubs because it's, each club is a cash cow. You know, you, you, you will make millions beyond your wildest dreams if you're an owner in the Premier League and you, you have to make these moves when you, when you see things going the wrong way. So, 
just to throw a quick stat there, I believe in the last five seasons, apart from this season, so anything prior to this season, I think the number of sackings has been, at the end of the season, has been 10. This year, it's at 12. And I believe that there are two clubs there that are kind of skewing that number there. And the, those are Chelsea and Southampton because they've fired the coach they started the season with, hired someone, they've fired him again because of how calamitous they were. So that's partly the reason. And for me personally, uh, I look at two names there on that list that I'd say were maybe unfairly treated, but maybe it was also just justified. Uh, one is Brendan Rodgers. I think Brendan Rodgers is a very good coach. It's just that when he sold for final last summer, he wasn't given that money to spend on the squad because you saw that defense and he sold Casper Michael. You saw what material they gave him. They gave him Danny Ward. Then no one knew Danny Ward besides, hey, this is a cheap keeper. I can play my FPL. That's how people started knowing Danny Ward. Uh, you saw the defense. Uh, great value, Harry Maguire came in this January from Stoke because we saw him at the World Cup play for Australia. You saw what he's been doing. And then there's the guy, Woodfuss, the one next to him, the own goal specialist. Uh, there's a guy playing left back. Uh, I don't even, his name is Christensen. He's not, not lighting up any trees. Uh, right back, you're playing Castagna. Castagna's not technically a right back. Maybe injuries have affected him. And then the likes of Ndidi are getting world-class assists to Aston Villa players. Uh, so uh, maybe the players were, were, were actually like uh, playing against him. That's why he got the sack. Maybe now they'll turn into some great players. But I personally think that one was unfair because he wasn't given the money to spend. Because you don't take a team like that. Because you see the team, that's like pretty much the same team. Back-to-back top five finishes. And then you lose one player. And then players get, like your key players get injured. DD, Madison, Barnes, uh, James Justin. You start Smiker, your leader. And then you don't give him the money to spend. That's the one. And then the other one that some people may find it surprising. I'd say Frank Lampard at Everton. Uh, I actually found that quite surprising because keep in mind the main thing at Everton wasn't even about Frank Lampard. I think the main mistake he made was taking the job. That was a horrible job to take because for the most part, the fans were not angry with Lampard. They never booed Lampard per se. They booed the owners. It's more at the ownership level with Mushiri and them and not on like Lampard. The mistake he made was taking that job given how much of a poison chalice it was to all the previous managers that have held it and the poor recruitment that had been going on. But the other ones across the list are well-deserved. They were not doing their jobs. This is a results-driven business. When you don't perform, you get shown the door, and they all deserve to be shown the door. Uh, there's, I don't, I don't know, maybe you can argue one or two, but for me personally, all of them, they deserve to go. Yeah, for me, I think Vieira was definitely the most painful, and I, I don't think he deserved it. I think Vieira deserved to stay at Crystal Palace. I think he had been doing a good job. And just seeing another one of my brothers get fired was just not a good feeling, you know? Like, he, he didn't deserve that. But talking about a man who did deserve to get fired was Conte, because he clearly did not want to play for Spurs anymore. And we saw in the last game that we played against who was it Spurs we played against uh who was it 
Everton. Spurs were winning 1-0 against Everton. Everton has a red card. Gets a red card, you know? Kane, you know, Dukure does whatever he does. His hand is on Kane's face. Kane goes down, red card straight away. You know, now, as a team that is chasing top four, you'd expect things to start clicking. Like, okay, guys, let's put pressure. We got them on the back foot. Let's get the win. We keep it pushing. What happens? Lucas Moura gets a red card. Everything concedes. It's 1-1. And that's the story of our season. Conte was exactly right in that rant that I was giving. That It's not just me. These players, this bunch of players you got here, the winner mentality is not there. The only person who's got it is Kane. Right? The rest of the guys, maybe Kane and Son. <laughs> Samson shaking his head because he wants to hate. But anyway... The fact is, Kane, 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 I know he wants to win because he wouldn't put as much effort in scoring as many goals as he does, helping the team out as much as he does. Like, Kane and Son for me. Son has not had a good season, to be honest. But, you know, Kane literally has his number two in goal difference. And if it wasn't for Haaland being a stat padder, Kane would have more goals this season than anyone else. So, I, I, anyway, point being, the squad. I don't know when this to happen, but it's just not going well for us. And Conte was right about the level of, I don't know, just gusto and work ethic and just, yeah, just decision-making as well. So I don't know, man. I don't know what needs to happen in Spurs to move forward right now. I really do hope that Mr. Pochettino comes in. I hope Poch, Poch comes back, uh, you know. <laughs> I was thinking, maybe we, you know what, if Chelsea end up getting going for Luis Enrique, maybe we'll get Nagelsmann. Or... If you guys get Nagelsmann, we'll get Luis Enrique. You know, it can come through, but that might end up being another Conte situation. But I do think that Luis could do a decent job. So I'm just hoping that we get either Poch or whoever doesn't end up at Chelsea. I think that'll be good for us. Um, and I do think we'll still finish in top four. I have faith it'll happen, but we'll have to see. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see. It, it, <laughs> We've got 10 games to figure it out. <laughs> Why are y'all looking at me like that? <laughs> It'll work out. Come on, guys. It'll work out. Anyway, what are y'all thoughts on Spurs? Yeah, Mangoro, go ahead. Is that blind faith? My guy, you have to have blind faith as a Spurs supporter. Otherwise, what you see will make you cry. Okay. Now, I think personally, the Spurs will make top four, given what they displayed against Everton and what they've been displaying Southampton. I think Southampton are some kryptonite for some teams this season. They've made some people lose their jobs. Uh, there's probably more cases, but Southampton are quite quite the team that's out there. But Conte, I think personally, yeah, he did need to go. As I mentioned, all those coaches that were fired, including him, deserve to go. The rant was justified. I think the players were selfish because you spent sixty million on Richarlison, and he's played the whole season and he hasn't scored a Premier League goal. He has more goals at a one-month tournament rather than at Spurs where he's been there for close to a year now. That should tell you something. That should tell you something. Uh, and you look at the players he's recruited. Uh, Longley, no comment. Uh, Perisic, I told people, is, is, is past it. This man used to play under Klopp at Dortmund like 10 years ago, and you still sign him? Emerson Royale, Hugo Lloris, 
uh, I told you, Oliver Skip, uh, the players that he entrusted with the season, uh, and he was talking about how he's had the best window ever. Like, he just had to go. Like, he's the one that built the squad, and it's actually quite horrible now. You've seen Pedro Porro. Pedro Porro was destroyed by Leicester City. Leicester City in 19th. I mean, sorry, Pedro Porro was at the forefront when y'all were being destroyed by, by Leicester City who were 19th. By guys called Tete. I don't even know if you know Tete or not. Those are the guys that were destroying you. And now they sit in 19th with no manager. And that was Conte's major signing that he moved heaven and earth in January to get. So personally, I do agree with, uh, with him on some of the points that he raised there. But I also do agree that he had to go because sometimes it's just not working and you just need to call it quits. Yeah, the funny thing about Conte is that everywhere it goes, we predict this. We predict the first year of building, the second year of winning, and the third year of capitulation. Happened right on schedule. Third year capitulated. It's just, it's just who he is. It's what he does. Blows up. Um, and he blows up for two reasons, you know. It's typically, the, the major reason he blows up is typically, uh, oh, the owners don't, in, you know, the owners don't care about the club. They don't invest in the club. They don't care. This year he invented a new one. He's, these players don't care the history of Spurs. They don't do it. Which, again, he is right. But, yeah, he he, he, he makes that same speech with slight variations every three years. <laughs> Made it at Inter, said he blamed the owners for not investing. Made it at Chelsea, saying he wasn't backed in the window. Makes it everywhere. At Juve, when he was winning, uh, going unbeaten, made it there too. So, yeah, that's who Conte is. Um, I actually think Ch- uh, Graham Potter would be a great fit for Spurs. I think he's, you know, the calm... You know, mild-mannered guy just coming. Hey, guys, it's okay. It's all right. It's cool. Hey, die you, die. Did you just pass the ball outside? Oh, don't worry. You, you, you'll get the next one. It's okay. Because I do remember a clip. Remember, you guys did an all or nothing, right? Uh, I think it was twenty nineteen twenty when Mourinho was there. Um, there's a clip there. The listeners can, or the viewers can go and watch. Lucas Moore, guy who got sent off. He was talking to the Amazon guys. He was like, um, uh, "I like." He was like, "Oh, because he was talking about he was being asked about like how is it playing during the like the pandemic, no fans." And he was like, uh, "I miss the fans because without the fans, you can hear the coach talking shit about you. Like like the coach, you can hear the coach criticizing you from the touchline, but you know." When the fans are there, I'm on the right wing. He's on the other wing. You know, he can't he can't shout at me because it's too loud in the stadium. And, you know, thinking back, like at the time, I didn't think much of it. But thinking back and thinking what Conte said about the squad and the softness, like, imagine, imagine one of your players said that. He was scared <laughs> to be criticized. He, he was running away, like, he was hiding on the other wing when he's playing so that Mourinho doesn't criticize him. But he realized he couldn't because there are no fans. He could hear Mourinho. He could hear every word. And every word made him scared, made him play worse. 
all because someone's telling him you're doing the wrong thing. Like, I don't know how you win with those guys. Maybe they, maybe part of the solution. Maybe they need a guy who's always like, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's okay, that's okay. Because, I don't know, maybe that's what Pochettino was like, uh, even though I think Pochettino was actually quite demanding, you know, thinking back. Uh, but maybe that's just what they need. You know, they're just soft guys and they just need a soft manager and just live the soft life, you know. Things happen, they happen. If they don't, you know, it's fine. Because Levy's also shown that as long as you don't disrespect them, he's just going to let you cook, right? He's just going to let you be. Um, last few managers who he's fired, he's fired because they've either asked him for a lot of money, you know, in terms of signing players, or they've disrespected him publicly, you know? Like, remember, uh, if you guys remember All or Nothing, he had a, he was having a, while he was discussing with Ericsson, you know, to sign a new contract, or whatever, he was kind of having beef with Pochettino about players to sign. Remember that? So this is a guy who, you know, he just needs people who just respect him. And Potter's the perfect guy because he's going to respect Levy. He's not going to bother the players. And everything's just going to be rosy at Spurs. And maybe then results will come. But this season, I think Spurs... We'll finish sixth or fifth. Um, that new brother just looks like Conte in a sweatsuit because what does he do? Like, play fielded the same team <laughs> Conte would field. <laughs> Did not change a thing. <laughs> same tactics, you know, same, just the same out of, you know, do not even think about team selection, just same guys. So, yeah, I think fifth or sixth. Um because Brighton have three games in hand against you all. Uh, Man United are on top of you. Newcastle on top of you. It's not looking good. Even Liverpool might catch up to you guys. But, yeah, it's just just not looking great for Spurs this, this year. <laughs> not at all. Can I ask you something, Mr. Mwari? And just going back to Harry real quick. Given that Harry, in your opinion, is a top coach, one of the greatest, and we should cut him some slack. Uh, would you take him at Spurs? You know, I'm gonna go, I was actually thinking about that. <laughs> Harry, come on through. I, 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 I would actually take Potter. Like, I think if, if, the, if, if he was offered a contract, maybe a two-year contract, maybe, okay, maybe a one-year contract, just, just to suss him out. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to give him too long. <laughs> but I would, I would most certainly try and see what he'll do. Like, if he cooks, it cooks. If he doesn't, like, if Potter can make us a better version of Brighton, I'll take that as a win. I, I, I Honestly, I would. And I do think that Potter could fit in at Spurs. I don't think the expectations are as high. I, I think Levy does have a bit of high expectations, but I think Potter could really, like, settle down. I could really see him out there. So, you know, Mangoro, if it came down to it, I'll, I'll take him for a year. Maybe a year and a half. <laughs> and then we'll see from there. <laughs> I like the confidence you have in the man. Hey, man, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say give him five years. Like, I think I think a year and a half is is, is, is is decent. Like, just to see how he settles down. Like, give him the summer and the season. If he farms, and we keep seeing farming, ah, uh, you know what? I, I, yeah, I, 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 Potter, I love you, but if you can't even make it at Spurs, like, hey, man, uh, I don't know, I don't know what more to tell you. But um, 
let's just move on here because you know, I don't want this to be a three-hour podcast. Let's 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 shift our attention to Manchester United because there is a lot to discuss here about the current state of Manchester United right now. They lost two zero to um, Newcastle. That was on April second. That's like you know a, a few days ago, and Newcastle completely bossed them around. And wow, I have not seen a, a, such a weak Manchester United team, and it looks like Ten Hag. It's just doing too much. Tactically all wrong that game. Anthony, I was surprised he even played again today. Against uh, Brentford. I mean, he did like pass. It was He had the pre-assist. He passed the ball or crossed it. You know, Sabitza heads it and Rashford scored the goal, of course. But you saw that man in both games. Cuts his foot on the left, takes a wide shot. Barely hits the target. Honestly, I think Anthony has had one shot on target since I arrived at Man United. And that was probably the goal he scored. That's it. I don't think that man has had any other goal, like any other shots on target. Like, <laughs> So I have no idea why Ten Hag keeps giving faith to this brother, especially if Martial is fit again. Although, you know, with Martial, he only has another game left in him. And then he's going to tap out again for the next five months. So he better use Martial wisely. That's I think that's what he's learned. Use Masia wisely because, hey, that mythical team, they look a little possessive. I don't think they like they like letting go of the brother. So uh, he has to beg them <laughs> on his knees. <laughs> but what are y'all's thoughts on my United today? Because, I mean, they did win today, but I don't know. Is Ten Hag, like ever since that Carabao, like that FA Cup win or the Carabao, whatever that trophy they won, ever since then, your boy, your boy has been, he's, he's not been up to it. He's not been up to par. You know, he's, he's not had it. So I just want to hear y'all's opinions. Like, what's what, what's going wrong in Manchester United right now? Like, is it Ten Hag? Is it his team selection? Is it a couple of players that need to be dropped? Is it, I don't know, the Glazers? <laughs> you, tell me, boys. Uh, yeah, let me go to you, Mangoro. What, what, what do you take on the, on, on the Manchester United case? Uh, it, we, we're just now starting to see... Uh, a situation where a club is reliant on two or three players because Manchester United wouldn't be where they are today without Rashford or they wouldn't have won the Carabao or been where they are without Casemiro. Those are the two I can argue for, honestly, because those are the players that have literally taken Manchester United to where they are today, be it top four or top four plus winning a trophy. That's that's been a good thing, like the return that he's put together in a year, Ten Hag. I think he's pretty much done uh, something good. Well, he did also lose 7-0, but that's besides the point. Uh, I think it's also important to mention that. I think the other thing that when you look at the team, it's just the players. I've heard people talk about, or not, not that I've heard people talk about, I've literally mentioned that they need to take a look at their right-hand side. As you mentioned, Anthony, I think... That man is quite a waste of money. Uh, they need a new right back. I think they need to recruit heavily, maybe in center back as well, uh, because some of the brothers playing there at the back, they definitely need more midfielders because the McSauce situation, we've tried it for three years now and it's just not working. And I, I'm tired of this great center back that they enjoy fielding week in and week out. Uh, today they won, the center back wasn't them. 
So maybe that's part of it. Uh, I think I don't know if he was there. Can, I don't know. If the, I don't think the center back was was there against Newcastle. Am I right? Yeah, the center back was there at the weekend. So they lost that game today. The center back wasn't there. Uh, they won the game. So maybe Ten Hag needs to do something different. But uh, I think he's coming all right. He just needs more players. I think it's also criminal to continue playing that center back because that center back is probably going to be the reason why he doesn't make top four if he keeps on playing him. Yeah, um, I will reiterate everything Mangoro is saying, you know, team selection, man. How Anthony and Vergos get into that team so often. Like, so, so, and they get a lot of minutes. Anthony has, has caught 90 minutes, you know, quite a number of times. So lately, it's been he's been getting hooked at like 60, 65, but still, he's gotten enough 90 minutes that makes you, you know, raise your eyebrow. And I'll just start, you know, before I go into any further, with saying, um, you know, again, I don't look at XG too often. I don't think it's the be-all and end-all, but I think it was very telling that you have, you know, what is the, the best defensive team in the league, uh, which is Newcastle, considered the least most defensively secure. They had an XG of 4.04 to Manchester United 0.41 at the weekend. For the listeners who don't know what XG is, it's expected gold. So based on quality of chances and run of play, it's a number of goals you would expect that team to score. So it seems that people, uh, the statisticians, or this, what the stats tell us is that Newcastle should have scored four goals. And Manchester United barely won. You know, that that to me is like, it's damning because, again, okay, for example, I'll look at the Liverpool game the, of the 7-0. They had an XG of 3, Liverpool had an XG of 3.44. How does Newcastle have 4.0? Like, that is, like, you are outplayed. Like, you, you, you weren't even in the game. You weren't, you weren't even anywhere close to getting a result in the Newcastle game. And it's this sort of Jerkel and Hyde thing that Ten Hag has got going on that really confuses me about the guy because I'll admit, you know, I remember uh, when the Ronaldo thing went out, was going on, um, I really, I really like laid into him and I said, hey, you know, this guy, can we trust him? Because you look at him with Casemiro, him without Casemiro. You look at the big losses he's taken. I point out Man City. Those two games early in the season, Brighton and Brentford, I believe. And it was like, well, surely you could, as a top coach, you can produce better performances than that. And I thought he had turned the corner, especially with the Carabao Cup win and the run of form they were in. Like, I think post-World Cup in those, in that run of game Rashford was on, I think it was on like a 10-game uh, or 8-game scoring streak where every game he was scoring. And they won like 10 in a row, didn't lose for like 12. Like it was a crazy run. And all of a sudden, just brick wall. And it's like, you don't even recognize the guys. And it's like, well, if you're a top coach, surely you should have some more consistency here. Because again, you look at the goals, their goal difference. They have a goal difference of five. Obviously, this is skewed by some of the humblings they've had. But again... You, they've scored 42 goals. That is, I need, I think Conte's team scored, yeah, Conte's Spurs, 
who Mutsa falls asleep watching have 53. Brighton have 51. How do you have 42 goals? You have Rashford in your team. You have Sancho in your team. You have all these talented guys. How do you have 42 goals? You know, it's, it just boggles the mind, some of these things. So if you put that together with the team selection, the inconsistency, yeah, you, you have questions about Ten Hag and why, and, you know, is he going to be able to be here long term? But like Mongora said, you know, he's also been, uh, you know, it's been a season of transition. There's been a lot of turmoil within the club. You had the fan protests early in the season. You had the Ronaldo saga. Um, you had injuries. Who knows? Maybe with some more signings, some more cover in the team. Um, maybe the takeover happens. They get to sign players properly. Um, you, you know, that's not actually, you know, they did spend, by the way. Let's just remember that. 250 million they spent, you know, for people who are counting, you know, this year. Not like this year, 250 million. So things should be better for sure. But yeah, you can also look at it and say, hey, you know, he does need a bit more support. But yeah, I think as long as he finishes top four, he can stay away from, you know, the spotlight. As long as he can, because I think they're fourth today with the win, with the win they had against Bradford. If you can just maintain this till the end of the season, then fine, you know, whatever. First season, top four, that's good. But if we see this next year, that brother, you know, he, he also has to be asked some serious questions because, no, 7-0, 4-6-3, No, not, not for Manchester United. No, no, no way. No way. We, we cannot, as a, as a fan, I'm not even speaking as a hater, just as a fan, you can't have a, a guy like that running your club. Eventually, it's going to go wrong. Eventually. I just have to say that uh, Manchester United actually have probably one of the easiest runs towards the last end of the season. Like, their fixture list is amazing. Like, they play Everton the next game. And they play Forest. And then they don't play in Game Week 32. But then they play Spurs, which, should, you know, should be... Uh, I would have to see how that game goes. Then they have a double game week where they play Aston Villa and Brighton. And then West Ham... Wolves, Bournemouth, and their last game is Fulham. So if I was Ten Hag, I would be like, yo, I should at least be able to win 80% of these games. At least. Like, he should be. And if he wins at least six or seven of these games, top four is for sure secured. Even top three, he can make it. Right? So, obviously, some Man United fans thought they could win the title, but clearly that's that was, uh, that was delusion. Anyway, but they can definitely be top three. At least. So, uh, Ten Hag has a lot to figure out right now because, yeah, it's not making sense what's, what's, what's going on. And I also wouldn't put it past him to lose the majority of these games as well. It could really just happen. Bruno Fernandes has been abysmal. I think he's been poor this season. I just, as a leader, ever since the Ronaldo saga, like, I just don't think Bruno has turned up the way he should. I think he's not, I don't know, like, held players accountable. He's been terrible himself. So, I don't know. Rashford is the only one who's actually putting in shifts from what I've seen. And Shaw just walked away today with a hamstring injury. So, it's very likely they're going to be seeing a lot of Malasia for the next few games. Or Arno Bissaka. But we all know Ten Hag doesn't really like a lot of black players on the pitch. So, I don't know what that means for a lot of our brothers here. But Shaw getting injured is a heavy blow. 
I think I saw Ericsson is almost back. So maybe he will come back just in time to save them. You know, he is Iron Man at the end of the day. So it's very possible that he could pull something out of his chest and, you know, uh, get them, get them to, uh, do the thing they need to do. But I, 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 yeah, I don't have a lot of faith and confidence in Mr. Eric Benton Hug. And I don't think he's the right man for Manchester United. Samson? Yeah, yeah. Um, I also just want to point out that, um, I think Bruno Fernandes should not be captain. Like, after what he did against Liverpool, Kishi should not be captain. Like, you, you don't you do not do that and get to be captain of, of a club like Manchester United. But I think he's still, he could be a valuable player because I think, uh, and you saw this in his early days of Manchester United, he was very creative in terms of, uh, um, especially in that, like, final third, right, around the box. Those final those final passes, you know, actually he's one of Rashford's main assisters. You know, he gives Rashford that, that final ball because he's very good at passing. He's not the best dribbler, but he's good at passing. And he's also very good at scoring, arriving into the box and scoring. Uh, it's, you know, one of the reasons that, one of the things that, that actually you know, put him on the map before Manchester United signed him and he was at Sporting. He was very high goals and assists guy per season. Um, I think Bruno Fernandes was very scored a lot of goals and assisted a lot of goals when he was a sporting, and that's mainly because he played off of the striker as almost a shadow striker, very you know high up ten. I think having Eriksen back helps him play like that way again, and that's why I think Man United should recruit heavily in the summer um, in that eight role because we saw you know that first game I think two seasons ago. Uh, first game of the season, they won like 4-1. And then the Manchester United admin tweeted, you know, a picture of the league table saying, hey, we're the top of the league type of thing. You know, very positive. That game, Bruno was not man of the match because Pogba had four assists, I believe. But he played very well because, again, this advanced role could play key passes, control things, and doesn't have to do much defensively. Also, if you look at his numbers... He has the most ball recoveries of any midfielder in Manchester United. Most ball recoveries. That guy is really good in terms of work rate. If you put him high up, have someone control the game behind him, basically get a Pogba replacement, they'll be good. I think they'll control games better, probably score more goals. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I've also been hearing United want to send Harry Kane, so... Uh, that doesn't necessarily solve their problem, so I hope they do it. I would like to see more of the same next year, but yeah, that's just that's just me. I, I, yeah, let's, let's see if they do that and send an eight. Okay, yeah, let's uh, <laughs> let's see let's see what happens. You know, <laughs> for I I think I think I don't know, man. For May United, we'll just have to see because I think that brother Ten Hag lets him do his, his his own thing. But um, shifting gears. It's been a long pod, but we have to talk about Liverpool for a sec because those brothers, those brothers, Klopp. Like, you know, let's actually just talk about Klopp, gentlemen. Should should I think Klopp is trying his best to send everybody a message that he's tired, he is done. Even his post match interviews now, when they lose, he's like, "Hey man, I, I put on the B team, and I just want to see what they could do." Okay, and that's him. That's Klopp. 
I know Liverpool players will always say, oh, you know, he, this man, where we almost won four titles last year, oh, this and this and that. But this man, he is done. I haven't ever seen a man who is done like Klopp. Like, literally, last game, when they were playing against, uh, who did they play against? They were playing against some other team there. They were playing, uh, who did they play against? Was it? Let me see. The City one? Yeah, I guess. No, no, the, the one after that. That was the last one. Chelsea. Chelsea. When they played Chelsea. Yeah, the 0 0. Literally, I saw this man asking the ref, like, asking one of the officials, like, hey, man, how much time is left? And then when the ref told him, like, two more minutes, it's like, ah, shit. Two more minutes of this. Man was not, it was like, bro, can this thing just end, please? Can, can we, can we? <laughs> so. Club in the last two games against Man and just Man City, he got demolished 4-1. And then Chelsea and Liverpool, 0-0. Chelsea could have actually won that game. So against the top two, like against top opposition, Club is actually not doing that well. But anyway, gentlemen, I think we should have a chat about Club. Like, is it time for him to hang it up? I know we talked about this briefly before, but in the wider scope of things, and just Liverpool in general, like what needs to happen for them moving forward? Should Klopp stay? If he stays, does he need more money for more players? If Klopp gets fired, who should come into Liverpool? What needs to happen? Uh, let me bring it to you, Mangoro, because there are a lot of Liverpool fans who have given up. Like, they don't want to talk about Liverpool. At, like, no, like they're done. They've checked out. They're gone. They're, they're like, oh, you know what? We are good. Like, <laughs> it's interesting enough. More Chelsea people. Chelsea still has a lot of hope. Like, I've seen a lot of Chelsea fans... I've not seen a lot of them as exasperated as Liverpool fans. I've just not seen it. And Liverpool beat United 7-0 this season. But any Liverpool player, any Liverpool fan you talk to, those guys are finished. They're done. They're like, I I I I'm not watching any more Liverpool games. So I don't know what that means. But what are your thoughts on that, Mangoro? Uh, you know, it's very simple, honestly. If I am Julian Club, honestly, this summer. I'm going to uh, FSG and I'm asking for seven quality players, not seven squad players. I'm going to ask for a new right back, very critical that position. I'm going to ask for a left back. I'm going to ask for two center backs and three brand new quality center mids. And I'm not compromising on that. I'm literally going to, like, if I'm club, like, I'm literally going to the ownership and I'm saying, that is what I want. And here is my list. I'm pretty sure he has his extensive scouts there and he's been scouting that he's going to put forward to the owners and be like, make these signings happen. I'm not going to go for an alternative or cheaper player. I'm not going to renew Milner's contract as apparently that was part of the, was part of the discussions I've been having. They still have the likes of, uh, Navigator, the what well, one man once told me that this is the this is a blend of Kante and I believe Iniesta, I believe, uh, from what I remember. Now he's about to leave Liverpool on a free. Uh, Oxley Chamberlain and Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott. Uh, those are the kind of quality players they have. So I think Thiago's always injured. I don't even mention him, but uh, those are the seven players that I'm requesting. Like. I'm at a point where if I'm club, I'm not even asking. I think he needs to start demanding. Like he needs to demand these players. He needs to hold the, the owners accountable and be like, 
I will deliver based on that on the fact that you give me these players. And if they give him those players, who knows? He could be back to uh, getting excited about the league and challenging Pep and the likes. And uh, that that that's what bring him back. It brings his brings back his mojo. If that doesn't happen and they renew Milner's contract and they sign Matthias Nunes from Wolves and some random characters from God knows where, uh, I would see him walk away because he's like, I can't do it. I just can't because, like, you 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 see Liverpool midfielders. Fabinho is a shadow for myself. Matip, I think he was done three years ago, but he keeps on playing. Joe Gomez is probably apparently there was a stat that came out yesterday that he's never scored for for anyone. Like I know he's a right back or a defender, but he's never scored for Liverpool, Charlton Athletic, uh England, nothing. And even in training. So I should just tell you something. Uh Van Dyke, I think the injury is still affecting him. Robo Klopp has been having his head because against Man City, some of the things he was doing and that demolition job they were receiving, uh, it was just not working. So honestly, I think those are the area key areas that they need to look at and Klopp should not compromise. If that happens, great ticket, you'll stay. But if it doesn't, I honestly see him walking away. Yeah, um, it's hard to... Say like I've been very critical of club in recent pods, um, but even for me, it's hard to say because I, I mean I see that midfield like that midfield is, is garbage. Like, and I've I've been saying that for the longest time. Even even I thought that midfield was garbage when they won the Champions League and when they won uh, the Premier League. I mean, not garbage back then, but I thought. Compared to Man City's midfield, compared to Manchester United's midfield, that was not a great midfield, but it worked for them, right? Uh, but then that midfield has changed a lot. People like Van Alden have left. Um, you've brought in injury prone players like Thiago, who, who do not play. Um, Divo Carigi, the, the kitchen sink himself, scored in the final, by the way, Champions League. That guy is no longer there. Um, so you had all these players who were high performing that some have left, mine is gone. Some have left, some are still here. They've got all gotten older. And when you stop treating Klopp like he's still a great manager, because the truth of, of the matter is he hasn't won a major title in three years. The Premier League win was in 2020 and the Champions League win was in 2019. Before those two title wins, he hadn't won a major trophy either um, dur- during his Liverpool time. I think he'd won FA Cup or League Cup, but nothing big either. So it's two major two major titles in five, six years. And after three years of no winning, you have to ask yourself, well, is it personnel or is it just time for a new system? Because every manager goes through this. You know, you have a certain style of play, a certain tactic, and teams get used to it, teams know how to counter it, and all of a sudden it's not as effective. Ferguson went through this. He would that's why every every four or five years you would see him sell someone who you think, oh, that's a key player, just sell them and sign some youngster and boom, they're back to the top again. Um Klopp needs to start doing some of that. And he already kinda has, 
you know, you can see him trying to rebuild. Nunes is an example of this. Uh, that's a young player. Gives him something different, more of a target man, runs in behind, uh, striker guy. Uh, Gakpo, he's come in. Um, but the midfield, right, that's the one area they have not improved. So I think one or two things could happen. Uh, Mongora has given you the version of Klopp he thinks that will go to FSG or, or the version of Klopp that should go to FSG and demand things. I'll tell you the version of Klopp that will most likely, the most realistic version of Klopp. And that is he's going to go to FSG and say, hey, give me 150 million so I can go sign Jude Bellingham. That's what he's going to do. I don't know what to tell you. He's not going to send seven guys. He's going to send like two. One of them is Jude Bellingham. The other one may be a right back or maybe another defensive midfielder. Like that's what he's going to do. And if that doesn't work, he's going to give us the same press conference he's given us this year. Ah, you know, you know, like talking about Nottingham Forest playing in the forest or I think the grass was just too tall for us today. Or, you know, those random excuses he gives every now and then. He'll, he'll do some of that. Because uh, in his mind, he still has the best back four in the world. He said that, um, I believe, uh, earlier this season. He said he has the best back four in the world, uh, best wing backs, best center backs, best goalkeeper. Uh, in his mind, he probably thinks he has the best right winger in the world. Um, and he believes Nunes has the potential to be one of the best strikers in the world. So he has faith in his team. The issue is, does this team still work? Does this system still work? I don't think it does, but I think the final test will be if you put Jude Bellingham in this team, does it still fail? Because again, last season they did go to all all finals they could, competed till the last day of the season, and it didn't work out. So who knows? Maybe he's right. Jude Bellingham does solve things. I don't know. At the same time, it could just be time to rebuild. It could be time to do, you know, he has this very aggressive, you know, four three threes playing. Maybe just focus on a back a back three. You have two of the best wingbacks in the game. Play them like wingbacks, not fullbacks. You know, focus on conceding less, more than scoring, because you know you're going to score. You have firepower. Just focus on defense more. I don't know. But all I know is that, you know, that brother's at the end of a cycle. And uh, he either has to rejuvenate the squad or rebuild it outright, do a new system. And if he doesn't do either of those things, well, we're going to be back to this exact same position next year. And maybe a few positions lower because the the whole league is always getting better. You know, people always upgrading and improving. Even Spurs have the potential to surpass this man if he keeps stagnating. Even Spurs, yeah, Chelsea will we'll be, we'll be back. They'll be back. Brighton, have a chance. Like, all these teams will get better. Like, believe it. So, yeah, he has to add the rebuild or figure out how to make the system work again. Because it's, it's, this is the end. I will have to say, I would just say I have enjoyed immensely not having to see Klopp on social media, like, after a big game. Like, just the fact that Liverpool has been so out of mind, it's been amazing. I've been at peace. I've not had to see a bunch of Liverpool fans on social media talking reckless. They've been very quiet. 
very subdued, very humble, and I love to see it. I love to see it. So Liverpool fans, if you can continue being this way, maybe we'll actually like start liking you guys. But, <laughs> you know, right now we need to peg the Arsenal fans. That's our target right now. But uh, as for Liverpool, we're done with y'all. It's fine. Like, we'll, 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 right now we need to focus on that boy at Teta. And uh, before we close, gentlemen, last things last. Listener, if you're still with us, we love you. It's been a while, but like, hey, there's so much content to go through. Last things last. Mitrovic received an eight-game ban for his interaction with the referee. We spoke about this in the previous pod, and I don't think either of us expected him to receive an eight-match ban. I thought it was going to be the usual three, in and out, you know? Eight seems excessive, in my opinion. I think there's some nefariousness going on here because he's Serbian. And that's why, like, I'm pretty sure if Mitrovic was English, that man was just going to cast the two-game thing and is done. That's it. Mitrovic is Serbian, right? Okay. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm just saying, though, like, if that brother was, like, English, like, that was not going to happen. And that's my opinion on that. Because I think eight games is really, like, it, literally Suarez got eight games for biting somebody. And what Mitrovic did does not, is not on the same pedestal as that. Well, actually, didn't either got the eight game for banning somebody or being racist towards Evra. I can't remember which one it was that it got an eight game ban for. It could even be both. I can't remember what it, what it was. But all I'm saying is, how can you equate those things? They're not the same. Like, it's in the heat of the moment. The ref is doing something. You get, you know, you touch him. Maybe like a four game match ban. That's fine. Maybe a five game. Maybe fine him a little. Like, other players have done extremely worse and they have received a slap on the wrist. So, I don't think an eight-game ban, and I think Fulham should heavily, heavily, heavily contest that if they can still. But, Mongoro, I don't know what your thoughts are, but did you think that eight-game ban was fair or was it too harsh? I'd say it was very harsh, like too harsh, because I think there was like a fine thrown in there, I think £75,000 on top of it. So that goes to show, I think there's something we mentioned like a couple of weeks ago, and I think we should reiterate it, is that... Honestly, like these referees, like I think the power is just getting to their heads, honestly. And the guys that head up are the P, I think it's the PGMOL, like the way they've just defended referees this season and anything that has happened, they've defended VAR, they've defended everything, they've defended all their mistakes. Like honestly, like this is, this is part of it. And this is another case where they're going to uh, pretty much, uh, uh, defend one of their own because it feels like it's a level of disrespect. I'm not going to go into police, uh, the police uh, story that I gave the other time, but because I know some brothers will go on a tangent, but honestly, it, it, it's pretty much just that, honestly. Like, I think it's just the power that they think they have. Like, we, the game, can't go on without them because honestly, I think we just at a point where the Premier League just has some poor quality referees. Like, honestly, like, you you see them. Like, Anthony Taylor is probably one of the probably top, top uh, number one uh, up there. And there's a couple there as well. But honestly, it's just the referees. Like, the quality of refereeing is poor in the Premier League. But we say it's a spectacle. We say it's the best league in the world. But probably has the worst referees ever. So, honestly, I think we the Premier League averages more VR incidents than any other, any other of the other top five leagues combined. 
given just how poor the referees are in terms of like just making wrong decisions, honestly. So I don't know. Maybe it's that. Maybe there's other things at play that we're not privy to. But honestly, I just certainly think it's just the power that they think they have. Yeah, and uh, you brought up Suarez. Um, Suarez got the four-match ban for biting. And he got an eight-match ban for racist abuse, which, by the way, is, is egregious. Four months for biting, eight months for racism. I mean, eight, eight games for racism. But, yes, to equate pushing a ref, a referee to racist abuse against another player, I mean, that... I, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how... And I remember, you know, they had the whole campaign of uh, the fight against racism, right? Uh, Black Lives Matter, especially during the pandemic. Um, that campaign looks you know, silly now because you've just told us that pushing a player is the same as being racist. That, that, that is what you've told us right now. That, that is exactly what you've told us. If I push a ref, it's the same as insulting, you know, Mitoma and saying a Japanese slur. It's, it's the exact same thing. That is disgusting. And it, it not only speaks of like how uh, bad um, the referee power thing has gone, but it also adds fuel to the fire in terms of uh, big team bias. It's something we've known about for a long time, something you know, small clubs complain about saying the big clubs always get the calls. Well, the truth is, now it's they have you, like they have a bigger right to say that because Mitrovic got an eight game ban for this. A three game ban was enough. You know, I said, you know, you we can debate whether it's a sending on or not. I think it was a sending off. Like if you want to make the rule that you touch the ref, you're off. Fine, I'm I'm cool with that. But I think the three games is enough. And this eight game ban is worse because again. Let's, let's not forget in uh, Manchester United 7-0 demolishing at Liverpool, Bruno Fernandes pushed a linesman. Now, we can argue and say, oh, it wasn't as aggressive as Mitrovic, it wasn't as intense, but he did it. He put his hands on a referee, which according to the rules is automatic, you're gone. Three games, sending off. You do not ban him. No, res no retrospective punishment. Which, by the way, it's something they also do sometimes. If something is missed, they review later and they realize, oh, that guy actually did that. They can retrospectively uh, you know, ban you for three games. They could do that. They saw that. Surely they saw the footage. They didn't do a thing. With Mitrovic, they did something. So, again, you, as a small club, I would be very angry and very worried about my future and how my games are called, because it seems very obvious that I'm not getting the calls I deserve. And, yeah, and it, it's just it's just unacceptable, honestly. If, if this is really the best league in the world, um, this is the new Super League, we can't have this standard of refereeing. It's just not good enough. I mean, you know, I always love the drama. So maybe by by having all these refs do this as another element, you know, it's the players, it's the refs, it's the whatever, you know. So they like to keep things, they like to make everything. I just think that the Premier League at some point is just going to become a reality TV show. I think it's just going to be other things are going to be like more important than than the game itself, you know, in a few years. 
So, hey, I hope it doesn't go down that way, but I certainly agree with both you gents. But anyway, listener, thank you for writing with us. I think it's time we close the episode for sure. <laughs> um, you know, if you've been here and you're still listening almost two hours in, we appreciate you so much. You know, we should we should uh, get you a T-shirt or something. You know, I think you deserve it. So I don't know. I couldn't listen to myself for two hours. But if you're still here, ah, man, you're strong. So we appreciate that. We really do. <laughs> so, uh, gents, any closing words before we close out? I'll start with you, Mangoro. Then, Sam's. Uh, thank you, listener, for tuning in to another episode of the Forest Brothers Podcast. Um, we we take it one week at a time. Uh, I think this is one week where we have certainly done justice to the footballing community, and hopefully, listener, you truly appreciate that. Uh, we drop bars here. We drop the reality. We drop the truth uh, before it becomes a uh, uh, something that that actually happens down the line. So, if you want our prophecy, the First Brothers will drop it for you. Uh, Harry, he knows. Uh, so, you know, this is this is the place, man. This is the place. But anyway, listener, thank you for tuning in. Uh, it's been great. Uh, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, thank you very much. If you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to do the... the these are my, th- my three new uh, 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 things to say now. You like, share, and subscribe to the Forest Brothers Podcast. And... Tune in for the next one. Be sure to turn on that bell notification uh, to get uh, any updates on any new pods that we drop. Dear listener, once again, you are you have been with the Forest Brothers podcast, and uh, once again, it was, it was it was great being here with you guys. You know, almost two hours. Thank you so much for staying on with us this long, and uh, we appreciate your support. Um, as always, we are here with the content, here with the knowledge. Uh, the entertainment, and yeah, you know, here with my two brothers. Great being on here with you guys, and uh, like the man said, hit that bell, like, subscribe, comment, you know, let us know what you think, Um, and uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing y'all on the next one. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be another phenomenal pod next week, so yeah, tune in. Tune in indeed. All right, thank you so much, listener. Do not forget to subscribe, like, follow and share share with your mandem your family your pets your grandmama everybody just share the podcast so that and also it'll we've got so many other good episodes coming so you don't want to miss those make sure you subscribe and with that we say thank you very much and we will catch you on the next one peace out